0: But this week, it is the penultimate week of our Galatians series, Um, and I think, I hope you found it excellent. Uh, I think it's been, I think it's been excellent, Um, and actually the church has been served so well through it. And, you know, just thinking about some of the themes recently that have been preached on, Matt did excellently just looking at adoption and looking at actually how God loves us just immensely, and all the privileges that come of being part Of God's family. Last week it was Chris, and again he was showing us how freedom is in our very DNA. Okay, we're called Freedom Church, but that is because freedom is in our DNA. It's who Christ has made us to be, and um, he encourages us to live in that freedom and not return to slavery where we once were. And um, this week I get to preach on probably the best known passage in the whole of Galatians. Uh, Most of you will probably heard some sort of preach on before. But I want to encourage you, this is massive. This is such a rich, rich text. Um, and so we're going to be looking at the fruits of the spirits this morning. And, do you know, every time I come back to this and look at it, it challenges. It challenges my very life and lifestyle and what's going on. So get ready for God to do something this morning. That's what i encourage you. He already has. But um, So we're going to read that. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not um, to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, Let us not become conceited, provoking, provoking, and envying each other. Just put those over there. So most of you will have heard, as I say, this passage. You will know it. It's Galatians 5. And really, we are looking at godly character, okay? A lot of what this passage is looking at, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, is godly character. I want to say that in the world today, you know, as we look around... It's something that actually is quite difficult to come across. And yet, it's something that we all desire, whether we're Christians or not Christian. The world finds it attractive. Good character. Okay? And, um, you know, we love to hang around with people who have good character. Um, We love to be recognized, don't we, as people who have good integrity and character. And character is important at all sorts of levels. It's important at a community level, okay, the areas that we live. We want to live in towns and cities um, where our neighborhoods are friendly and they're kind and they're safe places to live. And from a leadership perspective, we want to be led by leaders who have integrity and good character. And as we approach the elections, as Ruth prayed out, we're approaching elections this coming week, we want to be voting. We want people in power who have good character and integrity. And um, so that's the sort of things we're going to be looking for. And, you know, I think we love to celebrate and rejoice when we see people demonstrating, um, you know, good character, when we see people in sport losing well, um, or we see people bringing peace to situations where there isn't any peace. And on the flip side, you know, actually, we also love to, to really gossip and rebuke you know, when we see there's not good character, where we see there's anger or violence. And I was just thinking about some of these. It was actually, I went online to have a look at what are some of the good character stories. And if I'm honest, I couldn't find very many. But obviously the news is just full. And, and our society celebrates seeing people fail and say, seeing, seeing where there's bad character. So even thinking back, most people will remember, you know, Eric Cantona playing football, flying in with the old karate kick into the crowds as he got angry when somebody shouted at him. We'll all remember Suarez, you know, biting for the third time, uh, a a player there. Um, Or we'll remember the, you know, the government expenses scandal, won't we, as we saw actually corruption going on. And we see these time and time again. And um, I want to specifically focus on these nine things that Paul speaks about in this passage. Okay, we've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We've got these nine character traits that Paul is speaking about. And um, do you know this list isn't exclusively Christian? Although Paul speaks of it here. There are many religions and societies that have placed lists which are trying to talk about um, good character. But I want to say that there is a difference here. As we look at the Bible, as we look at Christianity, and the difference is actually between... Paul is actually sharing this list, and he's not just saying, this is what you are to be, go and do it, okay? Be off with you. Do you know, he tells us that God is totally committed to us, and it's actually God who is committed to helping us um, to bring about these characteristics in us, if we allow Him. And in most other religions or societies, the motivation for morality is a fear-based one. It comes out of fear. And yet in gospel Christianity, our motivation is a dynamic of love for God. Where does it come from? It comes from a dynamic of our love for God. It's not out of fear that we might lose something. It's out of our love for our God. And this is a love that is so strong that God himself comes alongside us and he dwells in us and he dwells in our very being. That's what the Bible says, through the Holy Spirit. And he changes our very hearts if we allow him to. So this morning, I want to just ask two questions. As we look at the fruit of the Spirit, I want to ask, what is the fruit of the Spirit? What exactly is it? And how does it grow in our lives? Okay, okay. Jump slightly ahead there. So, firstly, what is it? The first thing to notice about this, is we if you want to just look at the passage or look at your Bibles, is that Paul calls it fruit in the singular. It's not the plural. And you know, for me, that can be quite confusing because we've got these nine things listed afterwards. And so it can be confusing because you see these nine things Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you think, surely there's fruits. But actually, um, and, and you're looking at it thinking, I like these things. I like, I like the love and the joy. But do you know that patient and patience thing? Pff, forget that. I could just, just shift that one to the side. And you want to pick and choose. And it almost feels like it's a bit of a fruit basket that you've got to choose from here. And yeah, actually, in the English language, we do actually use Both. Okay, we both use the singular and the plural. So we look at a bowl of fruit, don't we? And a bowl of fruit can have lots of different fruits in it, yet we call it a bowl of fruits. So the first thing to notice, really, is that Paul is talking about one fruit. This is just one fruit here. Although there's nine things, there's only one fruit. And he doesn't say the fruit are. He says the fruit is. Okay, and that's just a little thing to, to see in the passage, but it's very important. Again, it's clarifying this is one thing. You can't separate these things out. It is one thing, it is one fruit. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's the first thing to realize. So, what is this fruit? Do you know, Paul often we see him contrasting, and we see it here. He's contrasting the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. In chapter 3, we see him contrasting it with the law. But you know, throughout, throughout the New Testament, we see Paul, we see Peter, sometimes contrasting it with holiness, okay? So another word that he uses instead of fruit is holiness. And I want to suggest to you that actually this fruit that we're talking about, these nine things, essentially is holiness. The fruit of the Spirit is God's holiness. And <clears throat> it's almost like he's come along and he's taking this word holiness and he's split it into nine different things to help us to understand what is involved in this holiness. And I don't know if you remember the experiment at school. There you go. This isn't just Dark Side of the Moon or whatever it was. Um, This is a prism. And as we shine light through a prism, what happens? It refracts. And we see lots of different colors coming out the other sides. Josh has got some far better explanation than me, but he is a physicist, so Josh, what is it? See, we're not just teaching the Bible here, you've got some, some physics going on as well. Is that right? It comes on top because it's the longest frequency? There you go. Um, so what we've got is we've got a disbursement of colours coming through the other side for all you lay people like me. Who don't understand physics at all. And it, you know, it looks like a rainbow. I want to say it's just looking at it, the prism itself is, is not actually creating these colours, is it? Josh. No. The prism itself is not creating the colours. Okay? Actually, what you've got is light going through the prism and it disperses into all these different colours of the rainbow. And I think it's a little bit like this fruit of the spirit. Okay? Imagine if we were to get holiness and we were to push it through the prism. Do you know what comes out? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what comes out of the prism. Holiness, and we've got all these different things linked with it. And um, I think it's funny because as we look at this list, I want to say I don't think it's totally exhaustive. Sometimes you think, oh, well, that's just it then. No, I think there are more things. I don't think it's an absolute exhaustive list. I think this is Paul laying down some foundations for the Galatians as to what it is. And I know when I look at this list, there are certain things I'm looking through and I think, yeah, that one comes pretty easy to me. That one feels a bit more natural to me, but that one there, just haven't been able to get a grip of that at all. Um, And it can be like that as we look at this list. And... um, Maybe it doesn't feel like for you either that they grow as a package. When I talk about it being one fruit, does it feel like they all grow together as one package? Um, and I just want to say what I found particularly helpful is working through this list. Okay? And simply being honest and praying and asking, Lord, what areas are there in this list? Where is there a healthy balance and where is there an unhealthy balance in my life? Uh, And I want to say it's good to see it almost as as a health check for us as we live our walk with God. This is like a health check that we can look at and say, Lord, where's the fruit in my life? Do you know, Paul doesn't expect us to look at this list like a shopping list. It isn't one of those where we can say, yeah, I like that one, and I like that one, and I like that one. I'm fairly good at that one. That one I've never been able to get hold of, so we'll just chuck it away. As I've said before, this comes as one package, okay? This is one fruit. And um, it'd be like looking at that prism and saying, do you know, I like the yellow and I like the blue, but that red and purple, I could just do without that. It doesn't come like that. You can't just get rid of those things. And um, it's not even just a case of saying, well, you know, I've got six out of nine of those things. That, I think that's good enough, really, and we'll just settle there. At times, I want to suggest it might be helpful so just look at a few of them and say, okay, I'm going to focus on these two characteristics, but I want to just urge you, don't ever treat them in isolation. Well, what ends up happening is we become like the guy who goes down to the gym and decides to, to work out one arm, and you see him walking around, and he's just got this huge one arm. He's totally imbalanced. You know, he just looks disproportionate. And if we end up just focusing on one or two of these, uh, this fruit, we're going to have a disproportionate lifestyle in the way we are. Um, I want to give you an example. that. Say, for example, you came to me and you said, listen, I, I'm pretty good, you know, at this kindness and gentleness, but I'm not very good at this patient stuff. I want to suggest to you that actually you may be, you may not be as good at this kindness and gentleness that you really thought you were. Maybe this is kindness and gentleness on your terms. Because if you were to bring patience into that mix, The expectation here is that actually all of them will flourish. This kindness and patience, this kindness and gentleness that you believe you have will flourish if you bring patience into the mix. They grow together as one fruit. Okay? Um, So, how does this grow in our lives? That's the next question. Do you know from this passage and from studying Galatians... I believe Paul suggests, really, that there are two ineffective ways to make this fruit grow. And there's one very, very effective way to help this fruit to grow. So I'm going to start, obviously, with the ineffective ways. Okay, uh, Just very quickly, and we've seen this happen following the law, okay, would be one very ineffective way of seeing this fruit grow. And we've heard throughout this Galatians series following the law guy, if you want to just pull that next one on. We've heard Paul talk about the fact that we are no longer under the law because Christ has satisfied it. And he's clear once again in this passage that following the rules will not achieve holiness. We know as we've studied that he's not saying the law is bad. The law is not bad. The law itself actually points the direction towards God's holiness. But the law in and of itself has absolutely no power to change you. It has no power to change you. And so I want to suggest if we try and live this way and we live under the law and we try and put all these things in place in our lives, these rules and regulations and disciplines then I want to suggest we're going to be fairly quickly disappointed with ourselves when we fail. Because we will. Secondly, some people might think that the law is just really restrictive. I'm not going to live under the law. It's too restrictive. Do you know, I'm just going to follow my heart and my instincts. And I'm going to go with the flow. And I think that's the best way to do it. And the Bible refers to this sort of way as following the flesh. Okay, when talk, Paul talks about the flesh. Um, and I want to just make clear that I think over the centuries, the church has really mistaken what Paul is talking about with the flesh. He's not talking about a physicality. He's not talking about um, the definition of flesh being, being the bodies. And the church at times, you know, you've seen people beating their bodies and it's become anti-flesh, anti-body. And actually, God created us and he gave us our bodies, and he says, and and even Jesus came, didn't he? And he came in bodily form to earth. And it also says when we die and we're resurrected, we're going to have new bodies, okay? I don't think this is talking about a literal bodily flesh. He is not having a go at our actual bodies. What he's talking about, okay, essentially, is our desires and our passions, okay, and it describes this from the heart, our desires and passions that desire sinful things, that desire things that are not of him. It's not our very flesh and bone, okay? It's our fleshly, sinful desires that come out of our hearts. And Tim Keller says this, he says, it is the part or the aspect of our hearts that is not yet renewed by his spirit. I'm going to repeat that. It is the part or the aspect of our hearts that is not yet renewed by His Spirit. There's actually a battle going on inside of you and me as we choose to either allow the Spirit of God to lead us and guide us, or we choose to gratify our old sinful nature. There's a battle going on. And when we try to make decisions based on our old selves and our our hearts, then actually Paul tells us that we are prone to making bad choices. We are prone to gratify ourselves. That's the problem that becomes our self. It's selfish. And so when we make, all of our motives are skewed, when we're making decisions based on this. And um, the problem that happens then is we're not putting other people first, we're putting ourselves first. And Paul gives us this other list, doesn't he, in the passage. And he, this reflects attitudes of our old self and our heart in that way. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Do you know if if we rely on making decisions based on this good instinct or from our hearts, then there may be times we actually make good ones. I want to say that. But actually on the whole, as I said, the reality is, we make bad decisions. It was funny, you know, a, a, a lot of us have been watching the island. And just looking at, I don't, to, I don't want to point out to the women specifically, but looking at the women as they trekked around the island trying to find their way back to the camp, and they went round twice as they made decisions based on their guts, we're just prone to make wrong decisions, you know? And we end up getting lost, we end up hurting people, we end up putting ourselves first. And, um, Yeah. We now have a new way of living that Paul is describing here. And it's not based on an internal law or a compass. It's based on a person. It's based on a relationship with Jesus. And I don't know what your perception of Christianity is. But I grew up going to church... As a young child, and if I'm totally honest, I grew up totally misunderstanding the gospel, the good news. Because I grew up thinking that, you know, God is good. Yes, that's not a misunderstanding. God is good. But essentially, we are just bad. But if you work really, really hard, and you obey your parents, and you stand up for them in your classrooms, um, in front of your friends, and you read your Bible, and you pray, and you do all these things... That you might just become good enough to be His. And you know, the problem is that this good news, this gospel, was not good news for me because I knew I wasn't good enough. I knew myself. Our gospel is not based upon ourselves trying to make choices that make us better and better, trying harder and harder to make him love us more. The message of Christianity is very simply that Jesus is good enough. He is the one who is good enough. He is the perfect son of God's. And he lived that life that none of us could have lived. He fulfilled all of the requirements of the law. In which his heart, his flesh, and the passions that were there, never led him astray. He fully exhibited the fruit of the Spirit. So we look at those nine things. And as I look down that list, there is nobody that I have seen who more embodies this list of the fruit of the Spirit than Jesus Christ. And you know, when he went to the cross, he took upon himself the full punishment for everywhere that we have broken God's commandments in not living the way that he designed us to live. And so Paul turns us in verse 24 of this passage to this slightly strange verse. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. This is truth. And it's a great truth. But what does it actually mean? Because I'm sure most of us here would say, we follow Jesus. And we belong to him. Those who belong to Jesus. But you know, we've never been crucified like Jesus. But the gospel is very simply that we identify ourselves in Jesus. The very person that he is holy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness. They get identified in ourselves because God himself comes to us and he dwells in us and he is committed to changing us, to helping us where we simply could not and did not have any power to do so before. So I want to say this, fruits is not the stuff that we do in order to get love and acceptance from God. Fruit is actually what develops in our very lives on the basis of him already loving and accepting us through Jesus. That's so important. Fruit is not something we do to have God love us more. We already stand in that place, fully loved, fully accepted through Jesus Christ. You know, in this passage, Paul describes the flesh as a work, the work of the flesh. And in chapter 3, he describes the law as the works of the law. But he doesn't describe the Spirit as the works of the Spirit. Have you noticed that? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Why is that? I want to suggest to you that it's because work is something that we do out here. Okay? It's something that we do in order to attain something. Whereas fruit is what comes out of work that's already been done. So we're not to work in order to attain the love of God. Fruit is actually what happens to us when we allow him to change us from the inside out. And you know the funny thing about the law and the works of the law is that following rules or following our hearts never had the power to help us to live like this. But the Spirit of God dwelling on us now, if we allow Him, the funny thing is, we actually start to live very naturally with displaying His fruit. I want to just give you an analogy of this. Imagine you own a motorboat, some of you may even own a motorboat, I don't know, Um, but this motorboat is set to autopilot, okay, so you're on it, and you're sitting back, and you've got your glass of champagne, and it's on autopilot, and it's just going, and it's just forging ahead, and you can sit back, and you can relax, and you can enjoy the journey, but then you suddenly realize, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, but I think we're going in the wrong direction. And so what do you do? You grab the steering wheel and you take control over the autopilot, and you change the direction of where this boat is going. And you know the problem with that is actually you're still fighting against the boat. The autopilot wants you to go this way, but you suddenly realize you want to go this way. And so there's a battle going on as you wrestle with the direction of this boat and the autopilot is, is going in that direction. And, you know, sometimes we manage to hold course on that course. But the problem is, it's tiring. Because you're fighting against something else. And there are moments or times when we're going to get tired. Where there's going to be weaknesses that creep in. And that wheel just slips back into the old trajectory, the old self. And our lives can be like that, can't they? Paul actually says that our hearts often pull us in the opposite direction to the way God wants us to go. They're not naturally inclined to go God's way. And there you are, living through life, and suddenly you realize, oh no, I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm hurting people by doing this. I'm not loving people. I'm not putting other people first. And so you grab that wheel and you change direction. And we start to put disciplines and we start to put rules in place to help us to keep that direction. But you know, life isn't fun like that. Because it feels like a constant battle. And it's tiring. And what ends up happening is we end up letting go and old habits start to kick in, and we start going back in that old trajectory. Do you know the more fruitful approach for us in this life is to actually change the course, the trajectory of the autopilot, so that the autopilot is going in the right direction. And the only person that can do that is God. He is the one who was able to change our hearts and set a new trajectory, a new course in our lives. And we need to allow him to cultivate this in our lives. And I want to tell you, this doesn't happen in an instant. It's not like you're in a meeting and suddenly it's like, hallelujah, that's it, I'm fully changed. Paul specifically uses this analogy of fruits. Fruits it's an it's a agricultural term, this cultivating, to help us to understand that this is a process. We still have many frustrations in our own lives, all of us, where we know we need God's help. But Paul is trying to help us to understand that there's growing to be done. Okay, Like farmers have to understand that it requires effort and time to cultivate the crops. Fruit doesn't just appear on a tree overnight, does it? No. It grows over time. And I want to tell you that we will fail and we'll fall, but God is totally committed to you. To helping us to live his way. To equipping us through his Holy Spirit. And I just want to ask three. I just want to look at three things at the very end here. What does it look like then to follow the Holy Spirit? Firstly, I want to suggest it's about relationship. Okay, spending time with God, worshiping Him, praying, praying to Him, reading His words. They're going to help us to become more Christ-like, and I just want to reiterate. It's not about doing these things to make him love you more. You already come to him loved and accepted. Remember that. You don't do these things to do that. We spend time with him to enjoy him. Because he's your father. And he's good. And we spend time with him to become more like him. Because he will change us. And you know, theologians often talk about the attributes of God as communicable. Communicable and incommunicable attributes, and um, the incommunicable attributes of God are those things that only God possesses. So His omniscience, His all these, all the omnis. Okay, only God can be everywhere at all times. He's the all-knowing. We we don't hold the attributes, but the communicable attributes are things that we share with God. And I want to say that the fruit of the spirit, I believe is a communicable attribute that God allows us to share with him. Another word for communicable is this communicable disease as we hear it. It's very, very infectious diseases. And as we spend time with God, I actually think it's a little bit like this communicable infectious disease. He starts to rub off on us. And we become more like him, don't we? He's highly, highly infectious when we spend time with him. So I want to encourage you, it's about relationships. Spending time with him and we become more like him. Secondly, it's about practice. Okay? Although this fruit is not about us trying harder, trying, trying, trying that doesn't mean that it requires no effort at all. Okay? And the way, talks about, the way Paul talks about fruit, it almost lulls you into this slightly false sense of, this is really passive. This is all about a work of the Spirit. And it's all just, you know, I'm just going to sit back and relax and allow him to do his work. And lazy people like me look at the Bible and think, yeah, that's nice. I like that way around. But actually that, he starts to suggest two things in this passage that help us to look at the fact that isn't what he's suggesting. This isn't a passive thing where we just say, well, it's all up to you. And if I'm not changed, it's your fault. He actually says this in verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in verse 25, he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Do you know, these are not passive actions. Paul suggests in here there's something very active. And if we want the Spirit to allow us to change us, then there's an active role for us. There's an engagement, there's an involvement in Him. There's a walking, there's a keeping in step. And to keep in step with Him, we have to keep our eye out on what is He doing? Spirit, what are you doing? And I believe this means He's going to give us supernatural opportunities to practice living out His fruits. And just yesterday, as I was just finishing off preparing this and as God has been speaking to me about this this week, I felt like he gave me a practical chance to live this out as, our, as Jessica, our daughter, had one of the biggest tantrums which she's had in a long time and, and just so aggressive and coming in, kicking and biting and punching and everything in me and, and at times, it's where that self-control, it's where that peace and that patience and you think... Well, this is different. This is inside the house and this is my daughter and I've got to bring discipline. And actually, it was resolved when I stopped and I thought, okay, Lord, how do I need to change here to help this thing change? And so I talked to her when she calmed down about the fruit of the Spirit and about how the Holy Spirit can come and help us when we're feeling angry. But it was also for me. As I was speaking to her, God was doing a work in me. So this is dangerous, We want to spend time with him, seeing who he is. But I want to tell you, the fruit of the Spirit, he's going to give you opportunities to practice it. And it may mean that you go to your workplace and you're put with somebody who you think, I just don't get on with this person. And I find it really hard to be patient with them. Um, There may be all sorts of things where he wants you to start living out and practicing that. Um, And it's, it's a case of also recognizing, what are you doing, Spirit? What are you doing at this time in my life? And thirdly, I want to suggest, finally, that it's about community, okay? Have you noticed, when we look at this list, that these characteristics, most of them you actually can't do by yourself, okay? It's about kindness. This isn't about kindness to self. It's about kindness to others. It's about gentleness to others. And so I want to challenge you, are you in community? So that God can cultivate these things in your life because if you're not, we have community groups and you can get involved in one of those if you're not part of one because this is an area where God will cultivate his fruit in your life. as you're with people who maybe you don't get on with, maybe you don't see eye to eye all the time, God wants to use this to cultivate and shape his community. Galatians 5.13, just before this says, serve one another in love. And, you know, you may also be part of one of these communities, but you may feel like you're right on the edge and you're not really engaging in it and you keep things to yourself. I want to suggest, actually, if we want to grow, if we want to allow God to do a work in us, it requires us exposing ourselves. It requires us actually engaging in the community that we're in, putting ourselves out there. It requires opening up our hearts to be vulnerable, to allow God to do a work. It is on the back of this that we will live fruitful lives. Now, I mentioned this as a health check, and I want to I really, if you've got the Keller book on Galatians, I want to I invite you to read the chapter on this, but I'm going to hand out these. Keller helpfully talks about definitions of fruit, Okay. And um, if we can, what time are we on? Five, five minutes. Um, can I get you to come back up and do just one more song? Well, I just want us to read through this list. This list is definitions of the fruit, okay? And Keller, let me just grab one, Josh. Keller helpfully just looks at what these fruits are, okay? And he gives you three different categories to each fruit. And he gives you the category of what godly character is here. He gives you the opposite of what it is. And then he gives you the counterfeit. And often we counterfeit these fruits in our lives um, because we know we should be living like this. And so we try and force it. And so he looks at what the counterfeit is that. And as Mim plays, I just want you to read through it. But I also want you to take this away and I want you to have a look at it this week as you spend time with him, asking him, Lord's What areas of my life, where is the fruit and what areas do I really need you to come and help me with to change me more like you?